The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, church. Do you trust Him this morning? How can it be that He would bring us such a great love that we were undeserving of? Do you trust Him? I mean, do you really, do you really trust Him? Do you, do you believe Jesus to the point where when you read the things that He says and what God's Word teaches, do you believe and trust Him to the point that even when something doesn't make sense to you, that you still believe and that you still trust? I hope that is true for all of us. Uh, if you've got a Bible, I certainly hope that you do. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We will continue in our series titled Hope. This will serve as part 3 of our series. We've taken a break for a couple weeks to do some important matters of baptism and harvest festival and some special things, but we're back to our series today, 1 Peter chapter 1. When you're there, you can find your way to verse 22, 1 Peter chapter 1. We've learned in the first parts of this series that the book of 1 Peter is essentially God's gracious response to Christians that were under persecution under the Emperor Nero back in the Roman rule, the Roman era of the, that great city that was beginning to crumble under the rule of Nero, and he was persecuting the Christians greatly. Many of them were being imprisoned and killed for their faith, and they were in a very dire time. And the book of First Peter, we find, is basically God's message of hope to these suffering Christians. And the first thing we learned was that God reminded, he's using Peter to write the book, but it's God's words to his children. And the first thing that he reminds his children is that they need to remember that they are his, that their identity is in God. If they are to have hope, they are to remember that they belong to God. Secondly, we learned that if, if they are to have hope, they are to remember that they were redeemed not with corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Christ. It was a sacrifice that Jesus made so that He could have His children redeemed to Him again, and it was precious blood. So if you've found your way now to 1 Peter chapter 1, looking now to verse 22, we'll read all the way through to the second chapter of the, in the third verse. So looking to, to verse 22. Since you have pur purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, 
as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. If you believe that's God's word, everyone say amen. It's interesting to note the order in which God intends for his children to have hope. These persecuted Christians that are living through this terrible time under a terribly wicked ruler, the things that he tells them to do to have hope is first remember that you're mine, church, is what he says to his children. He says, remember, children, that you've been redeemed with precious blood. And the third thing, the thing that we'll be covering today that he instructs his his children to have, to be able to have hope, is to love one another. Love God. Love His Word. The message today is a message of love. This scripture text that you'll know well, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1-8, through 8, it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. We see from God's Word that love is lasting. It has power. It's better than other activities. It's in a different category. John 3.16, we know well, says, For God so loved the world. And what it doesn't say is that He... It doesn't say that for God so liked, cherished, treasured, or valued the world. And certainly He did, otherwise He wouldn't have done what He did on the cross to save you and me. But it says that He loved the world. I don't know about you, but I like chocolate cake. And, uh, and I, it's hunting season, so I, I cherish my old hunting shotgun and I treasure my martial arts skills that I've acquired earlier in life. And I value a warm house on these cold days we've been experiencing but I love my wife, Abby. It's a different category. It's a different activity. It's better than other things. So, if you're ready to see what God's Word has to say to His children about this topic of love, everyone say yes. Now look in your Bibles back to verse 22, and we'll take it chunk by chunk like we normally do. It says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God which lives and abides forever. So what this first portion of text is saying to us, it's saying since you have obeyed the truth, since you have the truth in God in you, since you have been saved, since you were redeemed with precious blood and not with corruptible things, and since all these things came about and happened according to God's Word, just like it said it would, we are to love the brethren. I'm going to give you four things if you want to write, take notes. There are four things. This is the first. Love the brethren because God loves you. 
Or, love the brethren like God loves you. Love the brethren because God loves you. And when I say brethren, you can think in your mind of Christians, other believers, people in the church, how we together as a family, as the bride of Christ, ought to love and, and interact with each other. We're to love each other as if God loves us, like God loves us, or because God loves us. And that raises the question, you say, Pastor Ben, what is God's love like? And that question is so huge. If you were to imagine the back field in our church, this huge big, was it corn this year, I think? Corns or beans, one, beans, one of the two. Back in this huge field, if we were to have a nice November snowfall tomorrow on that field, <clears throat> and you were to go back there and count every single snowflake that fell in that huge farm field, and each one of those snowflakes represented an hour-long sermon about God's love, we would barely even begin to scratch the surface of what it means for God to love a people who never deserved it, never earned it, but He poured out grace and mercy and compassion through the means of the cross and all that He does for us in giving us life. We would not even be able to begin to scratch the surface of what it means for God to love us. But since we're looking at the book of 1 Peter, and we know that God used Peter as the pen to write these words, his words in Scripture, let's just take, for example, Peter. How did God love Peter? Just to begin, hopefully, to help our eyes to see just a little bit of the grace, mercy, and the love that God has for us. Well, we know of God's of love towards Peter, the way that Jesus loved Peter was that Jesus was very patient with Peter, even when Peter was being kind of a doofus okay when Peter was being a complete hothead and kind of out of control in many circumstances in scripture Jesus was very patient with Peter Jesus loved Peter enough to always tell him the truth even if it was unpopular even if it wasn't the most politically correct thing to do Peter never had to question where he stood with Jesus Jesus was always shot so straight with Peter. Jesus was always so honest, and, and I'm sure that was a blessing to Peter to always know exactly where he stood with Jesus, because Jesus was very straight, no bones about it, always was loving enough with him to tell him the truth. We know that Jesus loved Peter enough to forgive Peter when Peter was on that beach when after they had gone out fishing again, and, and Jesus is on the beach with Peter, and, and we know that Jesus was forgiving towards Peter. Never deserved it. But Jesus forgave him and loved him enough to forgive him. Jesus loved Peter enough. God loves Peter enough. God loves you and me enough to pay for our sins through a great sacrificial act. Something that was not comfortable, not self-gaining, not self-glorifying, but was stripped naked and humil hum being, what's the word I'm looking for? Humiliated. Somebody help me. There we go. Humiliated. was humiliated on our behalf because His love for Peter, His love for us is sacrificial. There was a monk years and years ago who was going to preach in this chapel service for a monastery. And he put flyers out in the whole town that he was going to preach a special message about God's love. So the day finally came when this special message was supposed to be presented in the chapel service of this monastery. And all the people from the town are gathered in this chapel service, kind of like you guys are sitting, facing the same direction. And on, on the one end of the, of the building, in the, chapel, in the chapel building they had, was a huge mural, a big, huge painting of, of Jesus hanging on the cross. And everybody's just sitting there waiting for the service to start like many of you were before we started service today. 
And everybody was a little bit befuddled when all of a sudden there were a few other monks that went to the edge of the room where the, where the lamps were lit and they, they blew out all the lamps and it, the room went completely dark. And everybody's looking at each other like we would be if that happened to here today. And, and they're wondering, what is going on? And they hear the pitter-patter feet of one monk going up the middle of the chapel. And he goes up to the front and they can hear him fumbling in his pocket and he pulls out some matches and he lights a match and he lights a candle blows out the match and he takes this candle and and the only light in the room is this candle and he walks over next to this painting the the monk never says anything he never says anything but he walks over to this huge painting and he holds the candle so that the only thing that everyone can see in the whole place is, is the crown of thorns by jesus head and then the monk takes the candle just a moment over and, and takes it to, the, to one of his hands that was pierced. And then it, it takes the light. All you can see is just what this candle is illuminating and takes the candle over to the other hand across his beaten and stripped body. And, and then he takes the candle just a couple moments later and goes down by the feet that were pierced also. And after that, the monk takes the candle, blows it out, and he says, this concludes our service. <laughs> the love of God because God loves us we're to love the brethren like God loves us and here's how serious this is church this is not yes it is serious that a a Jesus a sinless man was beaten and crucified on our behalf which was the penalty that you and I deserved but here if this gives us a an understanding of how serious loving each other is and how what a high regard God holds this idea of love and here's here's what I'm saying is that love and we may not all know this serves as a litmus test for whether or not you and I are even saved first John three fourteen says we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren He who does not love his brother abides in death. If you had a problem with the cooling system in your car, and your car is overheating and there's a problem with the flow of the coolant in your engine, you could take it to a mechanic and a mechanic will be able to know if there's a problem with the coolant flowing through your engine. He'll grab one radiator hose coming out of the top of the radiator and he'll grab the bottom one also. And if one of them is still cool after the engine has been running for a while, he knows that a good mechanic will know that the coolant is not flowing properly and there's an issue. So if you pay this mechanic and he fixes the issue, he'll then grab both of the radiator hoses, and if both of them are warm, it's proof that the coolant is flowing properly and that the issue has been resolved. If a Christian says that they are a Christian, but they don't love the brethren, it's proof that their issue of sin has not been resolved. But likewise, if someone does love the brethren, if they love the people in the church, they love God's children, it's proof that their issue of sin has been resolved. I honestly had one time somebody, they were sitting across my desk once, and they told me, they said, Pastor Man, I love, I love the Lord, I love God's Word, but I just don't like His people. <laughs> Honest to God, he, he sat there and he told me that he loved what the Bible had to say, and he, and he loved the Lord himself, but he just he says, I just don't like church people. 
They love their traditions and just the way they are. And I just, I don't like people like that. And I looked at him square in the face and I said, you're either lying, you're either a liar, or you're deceived. One of those two. Because God's Word tells us that if you do not love the brethren, if you do not love God's people, if you do not love God's bride, the bride of Jesus Christ, the church, if you don't love those people, you're abiding in death. Scripture does not get any more clear than this. And just to make sure that I'm clear with you this morning, if a mechanic touches the radiator hoses and both of them are warm, indicating that, that coolant is flowing properly, it's not that warm radiator hoses fix the issue. It's simply a matter of warm radiator hoses are what will happen when the issue has been fixed. And likewise, loving the brethren doesn't save anyone. It's simply what happens when the issue of sin has been fixed. So God says to His children who are suffering under great persecution, you want to have hope in this circumstance? You remember me, you remember that I'm, you're my child, you remember that you were redeemed with precious blood, and love one another. And you do that by loving each other like God loves you, or because God loves you. Now if you would, look to verse 24. It says, Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. And you say, Pastor Ben, that sounds really poetic. Help us understand what that means. Just so you understand, if you look at your Bible, where it starts where it says, all flesh is as grass, it starts with that in quotes. And what what God through Peter is quoting is Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8 quoting another part of Scripture in the Old Testament. And just in case for some of you Bible scholars that are out there that enjoy this kind of thing, uh, this is one of approximately 900 places in the New Testament that quotes or directly references a verse in the Old Testament. People who are scholars of historical writings and ancient texts and writings and whatnot, if they can find a collection of writings and the latter half references or mentions at least ten different times things that were said in the first half, a a historical scholar will consider that piece of text to be complete and very, very accurate. The Bible blows them all completely out of the water with almost 900 references or direct quotes of the Old Testament found in the New Testament alone. It simply shows the completeness and the accuracy and the total validity of the Bible for us today. But what is God saying here? What is God saying in this poetic language of all flesh is as grass and the glory of man is like the flower of the grass? What what does all that particularly mean? What What is it? Well, what it's saying is that the gospel of love which saves us. The gospel, the good news, the message that comes to us through God's Word and what we know Jesus has done, which saved us from our sin, which is the reason why we love the brethren, because of the love that God has given us, it is according to God's unfailing Word. Everyone say unfailing Word with me. Ready, set, go. Unfailing Word. It is the unfailing Word of God. And what it compares it to, God's unfailing Word, What it's compared to is the glory of man, or of mankind, or of humankind. Not just men, particularly the gender of manhood, but of people. The glory of people. 
And you say, what's the glory of people? And I said the exact same thing when I was looking at this. I'm thinking to myself, what is the glory of people? And the best I can tell, we don't know precisely what the Bible means when it says glory of man or of humankind. But what we do know, and this is, just, this is my interpretation of this. You read your Bibles and decide for yourself. But as best as I can interpret, when we think of the glory of mankind or of humankind, here's the best way I can think of, te- of teaching this this morning, is... Um, you girls, some of you girls, you're gorgeous. I mean, you can, you can warm and light up the room with your good looks. The, the glory of young ladies is their beauty and the beauty that they have. And I have some news for you, ladies. Wait long enough and you're going to be an ugly, shriveled up old prune. <laughs> Never let it be said that your pastor didn't tell you the truth. I will tell you the truth from this pulpit, y'all. For men, us young men, it's our biceps and our muscles and our strength. The glory of young men is their strength that even says in other places of Scripture. And, and, and if you don't believe me on this, here's what, I, here's what I challenge you to do. Go to the mall, buy yourself a soft pretzel, and sit down at a bench where you can see some mirrors. Here's what you'll see. I guarantee this is what you'll see. Young ladies will walk past the mirror and they look at it and they, just, they preen themselves, make sure they look beautiful. And they do. They'll fix their hair. They'll make sure their makeup is just right. They're going to check themselves out just to make sure that their glory is beautiful and that they're beautiful. And they do. I mean, you ladies, you can warm the room with your beauty. You watch a young guy go by the mirror at the mall and he flexes. <laughs> it's what will it's happen. It's what will happen. Try it sometime. You'll see it. And what the Bible says is that that, that glory, if we, if we were to take that interpretation of, what, of the glory of man or of mankind, humankind, is that those things, because you men, you young men who are strong with good-looking biceps, it's a matter of time until you're a weak little kitten. That's, that's it's just, just what's going to happen. The Bible says that those things fade and pass away like a flower in a vase or in a field. You ever walk past a fl- flowers in a field or in a vase and one day they look glorious and the next day they're all wilted and the petals are falling off? I mean, just a matter of moments from one morning to the next. They totally look different. And that's what our glory is likened to. And what God's Word tells us is that His Word, the promises found in His Word, the loving promises that are found in the Bible are not like that. Not like flowers in a vase, not like flowers in a field, not like our glory that completely fades very quickly. We began this sermon by saying that love was in a different category. And what I'm saying to you, church, is that the love found in Scripture, God's saying if you want to have hope, have hope in the good, loving promises that are in God's Word that are as true the moment they were written as they are for us today. So here's number two if you're taking notes. Life is temporal, but the love expressed in God's Word is unfailing. Life is temporal. Our glory is, is temporal. It's, it's, it's in the constraint of time, and it will fade. Our health, our beauty, our strength will fade. But the love expressed in God's Word, the Gospel expressed in God's Word, is unfailing. The things that were written in God's Word were as true the moment they were written, the moment that God spoke them, as they are today. And this will many times go in complete opposition of what the world and the culture will tell us. They'll tell us things like, well, we're just accidents. Our bodies are nothing more than bags of chemistry happening and we're products of evolution. No. God's Word, the Bible says 
that he formed our inward parts, that he knows us, he's well acquainted with our ways. We're not just some accident. We have the spirit of the breath of life breathed into our nostrils. We're different than animals. It's what God's word says, and it was as true the moment he spoke it as it is today. The culture will tell us all kinds of things like religiosity is old and words that Christians use are old and it's outdated and religion is just a dead, judgmental thing. The world will tell us things like homosexuality and fornication and drunkenness and adultery. They're just old religious things that don't matter. No, what God's Word says, the moment that He spoke those things, they mean just as much as they did then as they do now. Life is temporal, but love expressed in God's Word is unfailing when God was giving his children hope in the words of scripture he's saying if you want to have hope in this terrible time remember that who you are you're my children remember that you are purchased with an incorruptible precious blood of Jesus Christ remember that you're to love each other you need hope in this situation you need to love each other because I've redeemed you and I love you And you need to be in my word to understand what my words and promises are and remember that they are lasting and unfailing. These people that were under the great persecution of the Emperor Nero at the time, they would have had their Old Testament, their Old Testament Bible. So if, if I could just paraphrase, God would say something along the lines of, read the stories of Israel. Read about how I was faithful to them and how I was merciful to them and how I walked them through the wilderness like a shepherd. You need hope in this terrible situation in life learn about the wonderful things that I have done. Again, this will go in opposition of the culture and the things that it will tell us. It will tell us things like Jesus was just some religious figure. No, the Bible says that Jesus came to save sinners. And the non-repentant, rebellious person who's unbelieving and rebellious in their heart goes to hell. But the repentant follower of Jesus will go to heaven because of what Jesus has done. Jesus Christ is a savior now he's not a savior he is the savior now somebody say amen that's good news he is the savior he loves us he's he's calling to us it's not his will that any should perish but that all should come to knowledge of the truth and he's made a wonderful substitute for the sacrifice that we deserve we deserve to have to pay that and he paid it for us His word is lasting. What it tells us about him is lasting. The things that he said is lasting. It means as much today as it did when the first when God first spoke it. Now look to first Peter, we're now chapter two. Look to the first verse. It says, therefore, everyone say therefore. And some of your translations may say because. Because, therefore, same type of idea. It says, therefore. And if I could paraphrase, since you have the gospel and you believe in the gospel of love through the scripture which lasts forever we're to lay aside or laying aside all malice all deceit hypocrisy envy and all evil speaking so where's travis if travis can come down here wherever where's travis at if he can come up here i need somebody to help me and, and bring a jacket, Travis. Bring it, bring, if you've got a jacket, bring that with you and do. I'm, I'm going to use Travis as a prop today. Hopefully he won't be too offended by that. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I read, I can read, and I can read about people that are Greek scholars. The words laying aside, we're laying aside malice, deceit, hypocrisy. These are the things that the children of God are supposed to do. The Greek word for that expression is apotithemi. Apotithemi. And here's how I want to describe Come on up here, Travis. Go ahead and put your jacket on. And, uh, and I'm going to describe 
a, a situation for Travis, and he's going he's to act this out for us. All right, I want you to pretend like you go outside, it's a fall day, and it is 65.7 degrees Fahrenheit, perfect temperature. And it's fall time, so you take your jacket out there, but you're not sure, you're just not sure if you should, if you should wear it or not. So I want you to pretend as if you go out your house and you just can't decide. So in the next three seconds, just pretend as if you can't decide whether or not you want to wear that jacket or not. That looks about right. Wouldn't that look about right? That's usually, yeah, you just like stick your hand out the door and just kind of wait and see what the temperature is. Okay, so good. That's good. Now, okay, put your jacket back on. Now, church, the way that many Christians set aside or take off deceit, malice, evil speaking, gossip. I mean, there's a reason that many Christians have a reputation of being backbiters and hypocrites and, and slanderers and gossipers is because they lay off those things kind of like we would lay off a jacket when we just can't decide with, ah, you know, we, we, we want to we look like a Christian, but have you seen how much weight she's gained? You know, like, have you, do you know about what that person did? And can you believe they're letting their kids, like there's still the evil speaking, malice, deceit, there's still those things among people. And that is not apotithemi, an, uh, an active getting rid of something. Does that make sense to everyone? If you, it makes sense, say amen. All right, so here's the next situation I'm going to have you act out. Um, you're walking in Walmart, and you're in the automotive section. And a Walmart, em, a Walmart employee has a dolly full of uh, truck batteries that they're walking down past you. And the edge of their wheel of the dolly they've got runs up on something, and the top battery falls on the ground next to you and it breaks and it spews battery acid all up your sleeve and if you don't take your jacket off in three seconds they're gonna have to amputate your arm ready set go (laughs) give them a round of applause for that that's good okay thank you travis good that is my friends that's apotithemi. That is, to, that is to lay aside, to get rid of, not a passive thing, an active thing. Get rid of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Get rid of it. There's no place for any of those things in the bride of Christ. So number three, if you're taking notes, the obedient Christian will actively lay aside unloving qualities. The obedient Christian will actively lay aside, apotithemi, get rid of, lay aside, cast aside, unloving qualities. Now hear me on this, because what I'm not saying is go with the flow and only say what make people happy. Not at all. Here's what I'm saying this would look like in the life of a believer. It means that when you hear gossip come out of your own mouth, shut it down. Apotithemi, lay it aside instantaneously. It means when you hear deceitful things, again, here's what I want to focus in on. When you hear deceitful things in the world, like, well, a baby is just a clump of cells. If you believe God's Word, you're left with one conclusion, and it's that God created the life, and it is life in the womb. So if you hear deceitful things like that, it's not loving people, it's not just letting them just go on and and railroad over you with that belief. No, you stand up and you say what you believe. Lovingly, but you say what you believe, which is in Scripture and what Scripture teaches. If you feel hypocrisy rising in your own life, be real. Cut it off. Apo Timothy. Apo Timothy. Lay it off to the side. Get 
rid of it. When your kids are experiencing envy, we're right around the corner from Christmas, y'all, and their friend Johnny so-and-so gets a bigger, better toy than you got them, and you see in your child envy growing in their heart, and it's growing so much to the point that they can't even enjoy the gift that you got them because they're so jealous for what their friend Johnny so-and-so got. You, you cut that off in their life and, and teach them willfully how that's going to rob the joy they have in their own life from enjoying what you got them for Christmas and, and cut off envy in your children's heart and in your own. When you hear evil speaking, shut it down completely and totally. Ephesians Chapter 4, verses 29, verse 29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good, or but only what is good for necessary edification, for building up, that it may impart grace to the hearers. So church, I just want you to know, as your pastor, as the pastor of New Covenant Community Church, it is my promise to you that I will not tolerate gossip or slander be it in the walls of this church or outside the walls of this church. Should there ever be someone, again, whether they know you or not know you or work with you, if there were to be gossip towards you, about you, anything like that, my, my promise to you as your pastor is that I will shut that down instantaneously. Should there ever be someone that would come into our fellowship and try to raise up a gossip and a slander and a backbiting and a, and a disfellowship where it has, I mean, the Bible's clear. There is no place. There is zero place for that in God's house. My promise to you is to shut those things down instantaneously. It is what God's Word says. So God says to His persecuted children, you're suffering, you need hope. Remember you're mine. Remember you're redeemed with precious blood. Remember that you're to love one another. Be, understand what it is my Word has said, that it, my promises for back then were the same for you now. And cast aside unloving qualities. Yes, you're persecuted. Yes, you're being under this great trial. Lay aside all wickedness from you. Oppo Timothy. Get it away. Get it away from you. Now lastly, look to verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. As newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So number four, and lastly, love the continued nourishment of God's Word. Love the continued nourishment of God's Word. And I'm a simple man. I mean, I really am. I appreciate, Bruce, what you shared this morning. It was so appropriate. Um, if I could just paraphrase that in my own words, read the Bible. Love the continued nourishment of God's Word. Read the Bible. A couple years ago, Abby and I, for the first time in our lives, we experienced very severe food poisoning. And I'll spare you the details. I know I preached about underwear last week. I promise not to get any more embarrassing than that, but we, we were sick. I mean, we were really, really sick for like three days. We were, it was bad. It was really bad. And, uh, and after we, after the sickness and the poison started to leave our bodies from this food that we had eaten. Uh, we were, you know, it was like three or four days since we had eaten or pretty much drank anything. And, and our bodies were starving. We're losing weight. We're dehydrated. We need nourishment. Our body really needed nourishment. But you know the weird thing? Is we weren't even hungry. Because our body had been exposed to that poison. 
But what happened was really interesting. As we ate just a little bit, we started one day just eating a little bit, and our body got a little bit more strong, and our appetite came back a little bit better, and the next day we were able to eat just a little bit more, and a little bit more, and our appetite got better and better. And undoubtedly what happened eventually, our appetite came back fully, and our bodies were restored to the health that they were originally intended to have before the poison had entered our bodies. What I want to say to you this morning, church, and I say it with great love, is that many people, maybe even most Christians that are gathering together in churches this morning, they don't even realize that they're starving from God's Word because they don't read it. They're not in it. And because we're exposed to poison, because we're exposed to the culture in which there's sickness everywhere in people's emotions and people's spirituality, and I mean, just watch the news and you'll agree with me that there is poison in our culture. And we even a little bit are exposed to that even though we've been cleansed and purged because of the blood of the cross and, and we're clean and redeemed in God's sight, we're still exposed to so much of what the culture has and says and does and it's, it's, it's made our appetite for God's Word go away. But what I want to submit to you is that if we just begin to eat a little bit of it, if we get, begin to consume just a little bit of God's Word, just a couple verses, maybe a verse one day, maybe two verses the next, the further we get away from the poison, the more our bodies and our spirit man becomes healthy again, and all of a sudden our appetite for God's Word will come back. Love the continued nourishment of God's Word. So God's children, you want to have hope under this great persecution all those years ago in, in the Roman Empire under the Emperor Nero? You want to have hope? Be in God's Word. Love the continued nourishment of it. Love the brethren because God loves you or like God loves you. Life is temporal, but the love and the promises expressed in God's Word are unfailing. Be in God's Word. Cast off unloving qualities from you. Be together as a united family before God. Love the nourishment of God's Word. You know, the thing that I think is interesting about this, and Brian, if you would come now and minister with music, um, isn't it interesting that people all those years ago, just to make it through a day, under this persecution where just if somebody made the accusation that they were a Christian, they could be thrown in prison and, and beheaded because of their faith under, under the Emperor Nero. And for them to get through a day, what God tells in, in the book of First Peter that we've learned so far is to remember Him. Remember Him through His Word, by reading the Word. Remember Him by being loving to each other. Remember all that He's done. So much of our Christian walk comes from not our strength, not our performance, but remembering what Jesus has done. That's why we baptize people, to remember that our old man is buried and the new person is raised to life. And, and the other ordinance that God gave us that we're going to partake of in a moment is the Lord's Supper. And Jesus said on the night that He was betrayed, He says, anytime you do this, you break the bread and you partake of the bread and you partake of this cup, My blood and the new covenant. Do it in remembrance of Me. Do it remembering that your, your entry to heaven has been paid. You've been forgiven. You've been redeemed. The old person in you is dead, so love one another fervently, the Bible says.
So in just a moment, we're going to dispense these elements, but here's what we're going to do this morning. While Brianna plays quietly on the piano, the men in a moment will come and dispense the elements of the bread and the cup to us. And I want us just to hold it in our hands. Don't take of it yet. I'll lead us through that all together as a church family. But once everybody has been served the bread and the cup, which represents Christ's body and his blood, once everybody has been served, then Brianna is going to lead us through a special song that speaks directly to and about communion. And here's why this time together, and we can stay seated, you, the words will be on the screen and you can sing along if you want to, but this time of us holding these elements in our hands and reflecting quietly in our hearts while she sings the song once everybody's been served. The reason for this is because the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that if, if one were to take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, that they eat and drink judgment upon themselves. I have enough things to worry about in life, and being a pastor that would have people eating and drinking judgment on themselves is the last thing that I want to have to have to answer before God to. How do we eat and drink in an unworthy way if you don't believe? If you believe that just stupid bread and stupid grape juice if you believe that this is an unworthy, this is a stupid thing, why are we doing this? This doesn't make any sense. I, I, I don't believe this. I don't trust this. I don't believe that there was a new covenant and an old covenant. I don't believe that Jesus came. If, that, if that's you, I ask you humbly this morning, when the plate passes by you with the bread and the juice, just don't even take it. And for the rest of us, if there's unrepentant sin in our life as that song is played and we're, we're holding the elements... When, when it comes time for us together to take the Lord's Supper, to take the bread and to take the cup, I want us to do it in a worthy manner of a heart that says, Lord, because of these things, because of Your body that was broken and Your blood that was shed, I'm forgiven and redeemed. Not because of my own works, but because of what You have done. If that's Your heart, that's a worthy manner. And that's how we'll take it today. So men, if you could come, those of you that are going to dispense of the elements this morning, if you would come up together and dispense. Go ahead and come on up wherever you're at.